It's those two assholes. <clears throat> those two idiots you saw me talking to at the third rail. Watch out for the third rail, baby. If this nation, or in fact the world, ever needed heroes, that time is now. That time is now. Like we see Kyle Rittenhouse every day lately, this is happening. It is episode 224, 224 of the most huggable court TV podcast on the air since 1973, The Third Rail. We're on, we are coming to you almost live in the mobile Third Rail studio, this time from Charlottesville where the dancing Nazi is gassing the plaintiff's attorneys like it's a Taco Bell bathroom on a two-for-one taco day. Hi, how are you? It is Spectre, and I'm actually getting tired of the sound of my own voice, but... You're not going to get tired of. I can't even complete sentences anymore. <laughs> DK, help me out. Please it's been a busy week. This. I think. I think you have had an extremely busy week, an extremely productive week, and a monumental week. Uh, we have to. We'll have to talk at least a little bit about your book, which I think everybody. I speak for absolutely everybody in this thing, and, and I imagine also beyond this thing, and saying thank you for the incredible service that you've you've done in, in documenting uh, this phenomenon. For those of you who are somehow don't know what we're talking about. Um, Spectre just has a new book. It's co-written, right? You're, you're a co-author. Yes, on... yes. I could not have done this without uh, Richard McClure, my, my writing partner on this. And also, he, I mean, this was his brainchild. Um, this was his passion. He and I uh, kind of found each other through a mutual friend back in uh, early 2019. And uh, he funded this project. He uh, served as my editor. I mean, really smoothed me out where I needed it. Um, I did the field work and in in most of the writing, but he is what made it great, and uh, this I can't say enough about his role in this. I just he kind of has a uh, he's a public face, so he uh, kind of is staying a quiet, a silent partner on this uh, <laughs> as far as a lot of our publicity. Although I think we might get to have him on on tedious. Uh, yeah, we're gonna. They're promising we can do a segment on the book, but yeah, it's called uh, Opioids for the Masses: Big Pharma's War on the Middle on Middle America and the Working White Class and the White Working Class. You can tell that I can't even get my own title out of my mouth. That I'm a little bit, a little bit brain dead. But um, yeah, it was a labor of love. How, how can uh, how can we tell? I'm sorry, that was just a cheap. Yeah. I saw the cheap opening. I had to take it. Borzoi's no not worries. here, so I Borzoi's not here, so I have to fill in. No worries. <laughs> and I also need to make sure to thank all the the great people at AntelopeHillPublishing.com because they also uh, took you know the the manuscript and really helped us streamline it and. Uh, you know, they, they took what we thought was good and they made it uh, great as far as I can tell. I mean, I, I, I the reception is already, um, you know, the, the uh, people are excited about it and uh, it's 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 a sobering look at this problem. So what? So it's, we, sorry, go on. No, no, no. I was just gonna say um, it's it's, uh, but I, I think it's a necessary one. That's all I was gonna say. Absolutely. Well, I, I, what I was going to say was uh, I am only aware of what was there was one book called Dreamland, which is, I think, chronicling some of this stuff. But that was more, I think, I mean, which is also necessary and important, but but more from a kind of um, like an individual vignette kind of a perspective. It wasn't mm -hmm. really taking so much of a systematic look uh, and far less, <laughs> you know, kind of who, 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 who are the financial interests that are driving the opioid epidemic. Yeah. And and then um, uh, the uh, 
what is it? There's some Netflix show or something that I've heard is pretty terrible, but I don't I don't know anything. Yeah, about Yeah, I think it. I have, I've heard about it. It's called Dope Sick with Michael Keaton. Um, yeah. I don't know anything about it, but I've kind of avoided uh, input from other other uh, places, like you know, whether yeah. it's entertainments or, or entertainment or books, because especially now that I'm talking about it again after you know all the writing, the research, I don't want to like. Uh, on the fly come up with what I consider my own hot take and it turns out it's somebody else's <laughs> hot take. So. Well, there's also the issue of like, you know, even if you, I mean, there, there's definitely a, a time and a place, there's a tricky balance, you know, um, because on the one hand, you need to do research and reading stuff that other people have written is obviously like kind of research 101. Um, mm -hmm. But then if it's like really close to your own thing that you're doing, yeah you don't want it's not even just so much you want to like accident you know accidentally misattribute something um it's it's also you know they, they that can have a way of straightjacketing your thought process and, and forcing you down roads that you wouldn't have gone down if you hadn't you know sort of been contaminated in a certain way so i've definitely right, for myself right, right. also found a certain amount of benefit in you know it, it's a tricky thing and, and you got to know like when to you got to know when to read something before you write something and when to read something after you've written something you know what i mean exactly exactly and before we even get going too far i, I know this will be in the, the notes for the people uh, listening to it but uh after uh our close out tonight uh we'll have 30 minutes of uh i, I was fortunate enough to get to interview christopher cantwell today on sunday the uh mart on november 14th so we'll have that. That'll be played after the outro music. So just FYI. I'm so, but, I'm but so looking for, Oh, yeah, right. Which reminded me for my frame for this. But um, sorry, did you want to stay on the opioids thing for a second before pivoting to, to Charlottesville? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, come on. This is, uh, you know, I'm excited. This thing came out on Friday. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's just, I think it's one of the, it's probably the best thing I've ever written. Um, that, what that the Richard time traveling sci-fi with dinosaurs and space Hitler doesn't? Oh Jesus Christ! <laughs> yeah, I posted cringe. Okay, um, <laughs> no man, you got paid to write. That's awesome. That's true. Okay, so anyway, um, so this uh, again was uh, Richard's plan, and what we wanted to do was, you know, if, if you tell a too academic a story uh, about the opioid crisis, even if you're like pointing a finger at who's behind it, it gets dry. It's not that interesting. And then there are like those stories like you talked about, like where there's vignettes of the personal stories. And I think those are very important, but a book of those could just be soul draining. Um, and so, you know, you get the impact, but boy, it would just, that's all it would be. And nobody, as far as we knew, had, had kind of taken this approach we were going to take. And also the, the way we went into it was, let's look at this as a murder. A crime has been committed. How would we go about this if we were uh, investigating a murder? As well as, you know, as far as to keep it entertaining and, and pe keep people reading the book, structure it as if it were uh, like a murder mystery, at least the structure of it, not the content of it. And so I spent about nine months on the road. I started up down in Panhandle of Florida, worked my way up through Appalachia, the Rust Belt, uh, out to the Midwest, and hit the places that were most impacted by the opioid crisis at the time. And we used like the CDC heat map uh, to determine like, where the highest numbers, incidents of uh, overdoses or overdoses with death or just prescriptions per capita, uh, that sort of thing. A lot of that information is surprisingly out there and has been for a while and no one seems to be doing anything about the problem, uh, but at least it's identified. So, you know, it's been like three weeks in one town, another uh, couple of weeks, you know, uh, in Kentucky, another couple of weeks in eastern Kentucky, another couple of weeks in West Virginia. And, you know, staying either hotels or Airbnbs along the way, really getting to know the, the communities as best I could in, in that time period. 
And so when you read this, it's going to be some personal stories about people affected, um, whether it's, you know, a, a very compassionate drug court uh, judge that I met, uh, local sheriff, uh, local re uh, people running rehab clinics, uh, a lot of them former addicts themselves. Um, and then, of course, you know, the, the tragedies of it. But it's interspersed with the big picture um, to look at the legal case, or I guess from a, from a legal perspective of who was behind the murder, who was behind this great crime, and then, you know, how, the extent of it using statistics and all that. But it also, I was, there was one thing that happened to me, I haven't mentioned this anywhere else, I want to kind of keep it exclusive here. Um, this is your bonus for listening to our show. Uh, it's, it's detailed in the book, but uh, I found myself, we had actually been recording a third rail, and it was like sometime in the spring of 2019. Um, Saturday night, we had recorded... Um, I can't remember what episode it was, but shortly thereafter, I had, uh, I guess I should mention this when I would go into these communities, I would start developing sources as quickly as possible. And because there are people who are concerned about this or affected by it, they become very passionate, um, you know, sources that can, you know, they help you out. They, they, you know, either they're telling their own stories or, you know, you know, they have resources as far as here's how you can contact this person or that person. And one of the people I'd met had just become a, kind of a, a friend over the you know, over a couple of weeks. And I got a text on her, uh, from her that her daughter, she had lost already four people in her family to the opioid epidemic, or sorry, four overdoses and two family deaths as well. And that was in her immediate family. So she had become an anti-opioid uh, activist, you know, uh, campaigning at the local and, and state level to try to get, you know, reforms. She texted me and let me know that her 13-year-old daughter was in the hospital with an overdose. And I ended up going to that hospital at about, I guess it was maybe one in the morning at that point. I drove, I think I was in, uh, I was in Charleston, West Virginia at the time. And, and this was over in the eastern part of the state, right near the state line, near Huntington. Huntington. And... Uh, yeah, I spent the next six hours with her and her daughter. I mean, I, I was sitting there holding her daughter's hand while she was filling out, um, you know, insurance forms. And, you know, you, you get very close to this and it really has, it becomes more than just a story you're telling. Uh, you've gotten involved in the story, but I think it makes the story better in the sense that you actually can, you know, you're really feeling this. Um, and so, yeah, we, we had, uh, yeah. Uh, sorry, I get a little bit, because that was it, that was one of the emotional moments of of this journey. I can only and, imagine uh, how. Uh, yeah, that. Well, I, I mean, again, I think everybody pretty much knows somebody, even if only you know. Everybody has a friend. Everybody has a family member, or or you know, a family friend or a friend of a family member or something, who's been affected by this, right? I mean, it, that that's. Um, and it's been going on so long now. I, I remember uh, when when OxyContin like first came out, essentially, and and was uh, or at least I don't, when when did it come out? Maybe we can go over a little bit of that history. Uh, just... Oxy itself came out in late. I think it was. I'm sorry, but a lot of, there's yeah. a lot of deep research. I think off the top of my head, it was 1996 or 1997. Yeah, I, I do. I, I, and then and then not long thereafter, it's you know hillbilly heroin started um, exploding. Um, yeah, and 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 it just went, you know, cut through, cut through white America like wildfire, and and mm -hmm. 
yeah, it's it's um, it's well, it's criminal, it, as you say. It's that, approaching it as a crime, yeah. I think, is the right way to look at it for sure. Well, I mean, there's like, and we can pivot to this in a minute, but there's you know, twenty gentlemen and, and organizations on trial, uh, in in a civil trial over the death of one person in a car wreck. Uh, we're talking about 400,000 people who've died as a result of uh, opioids right. since 1999. And, and the manufacturers um, and, and, have been, sorry, go on. I was going to say, and, and to your point about how this, you know, affected, we, we looked at this, we got to look at the, the impact on individuals and their families, but also on entire communities. I, I told a story about, um, we were in Jasper, Alabama. Uh, it's a coal town. Um, and uh, I think in the mid 1990s, uh, the coal mines had closed and that, you know, devastates a coal town. And so you already had uh, a lot of uh, uh, poverty, unemployment, and this just exasperated it. Well, uh, as with so much other part, uh, so much of the rest of you know rural America, as you know, uh, the, the opioid epidemic swept through there. And somewhere around 2015, a coal company, the the energy prices were such that a coal company thought we can make this um, this coal mine run again. We need to hire 500 people to get it up. And if you hire 500 people for an operation that size, you're going to create other businesses. You're going to create other jobs. So this would have been just a just a you know a, a blessing for this small town, and they couldn't find 500 people, 500 men um, willing to work in the coal mine who could pass a drug test. So they scrapped their plans. Think about what that's done to that community. What what those yeah. jobs could have done for that community. Yeah. Coal, coal jobs are hard jobs, but they're high paying or they're they're good paying jobs. Right. You know. And right. so, you know, the, the addiction there continues as does the unabated poverty and unemployment. Well, that's yeah. Different. So, but yeah, I mean, it was, yeah. It's sorry to be too much of a no, no. But it's it's important, I, and it's a story that needs to be heard. Yeah. Needs to be told. Yes. Needs to be heard. And, and, uh, and there, there are heroes yeah. in this book. There are uh, stories that you know that are heartwarming or, or, or uplifting. They're white pilling, for lack of a better word. Um, you know, cause there are people that are, you know, on the ground trying to fight this thing, but the problem is their enemy is this, uh, gigantic, uh, big pharma, uh, operation run by mostly the tribesmen and yeah, not a lot you can do when that's your enemy, as we saw with the Purdue pharma verdict in, um, a civil, civil verdict in, yeah, September that's, well, that is actually going, included in the book as well. Right. Oh, that's good that you were able to get that in there because I know press lead times being what they are, it could be hard to, even like up to a year before publication, if not more. Um, yeah, be hard to. Well, this, this that kind it, of stuff. It, it it really felt the exact right time, and we were able to incorporate a couple of new chapters and kind of definitively, you know, have that as like a definitive um, capstone on the know, whole thing. Yeah, capstone on the whole thing, as well as. Um, we are now the first, you know, there are, have been some other books on the opioid crisis from different perspectives. This is the one that looks at it from the white working class's perspective primarily. And we're the first out of the gate right after this monumental decision right. that was still right. unfair, even though it was monumental. Well, I, on that note, maybe it's a kind of, I mean, who knows? Or, and, and, but um, I have noticed, because uh, I've been sort of keeping, I like to keep tabs on conservatard Twitter for a variety of reasons, um, mainly, I guess, to sort of like, what are the conservatards talking about today, you know, and, and how can we benefit or, <laughs> and, and so on. But, uh, the, there's been a noticeable shift, um, among, uh, I guess you could call them, um, edgy 
conservatives, you know, uh, conservatives who try to basically the gatekeepers to our thing. Right. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, so so I I, uh, I keep tabs on like Matt Walsh, uh, who uh, I guess what was it just the other day? He said um, in reply to uh, Dinesh D'Souza that he just just call it anti-white. Essentially, like they hate white people. That's what motivates them. Which is like, mm -hmm. okay, now imagine this is a man who is 100% owned by Ben Shapiro. Ben Shapiro owns this man's anus on 100%. Right. Like on, on the deed, it says, like, you know, property of Ben Shapiro. Um, yeah, so he's got a tattoo back there from what I hear. Right. And he's out there saying, like, you know, uh, well, uh, the the thing is that they're actually – it's. let me see if I can pull up the actual um, – I can't find it. Anyway, uh, but, but yeah, it's, it's – uh, you know he has he has to say like well it's actually what they hate is um oh here here we go so Dinesh D'Souza says it's a pattern with Biden if you don't vote for him quote you ain't black young blacks are quote predators his best buddies were segregationists so it's more than a talking his best buddies were oh my god so it's more of a, than a talking point to say there's a deep vein of racism that still runs through the party and then Matt Walsh quote tweets him and says uh, quote quote tweets uh, Slanesh D'Souza and says. The racism in the modern Democrat Party is entirely anti-white. They use and manipulate all racial groups, but they actually hate white people. That's the truth, and that should be our message. People confuse indifference with hate. Democrats are indifferent to everyone, but the racial group they are actively trying to marginalize and demonize are whites. I mean, they excluded white farmers from their farm bill, blah, blah, blah. Um, similarly, in the same kind of a dynamic, and this is where I was going with this, uh, I like to keep tabs on on Sean Davis of the co-founder of the Federalist, which is like again occupying this kind of you know way out there space within conservative land, and he has recently developed a habit of uh, retweeting Mystery Grove publications, who are like they they they're they're great at like optics, but they are 100% our guys, and uh, you know I mean a lot of the content has to do with Kyle Rittenhouse, some of it has to do with Spanish Civil War, and and I'm sure part of it is you know. Um, just given that there's so much grist for those particular two mills, um, in particular, obviously, all the Rittenhouse stuff. Uh, like I saw Cernovich retweeting Mystery Grove and Posobiec retweeting Mystery Grove. Point being, uh, this is, I think, exactly the kind of crossover work with crossover appeal that, I mean, we'll. It, I'm curious to see the reaction from conservatard world because you know it, it's right up their alley in a whole bunch of different ways and a bunch of people are going to be pinging them about it um yeah i saw uh uh, uh uh scott howard's book you know the transgender industrial complex which is really one of a kind and and i think everybody should i mean it's just exhaustive in its documentation of the phenomenon and it has you know uh, definitely made some impact in in, in some of the arguments and, and people have are having um you know, i saw people referencing it in in rod Dreher's, uh blog and stuff like that so um, Antelope Hills is breaking through, um, and, and there's definitely potential for, for this book to, to, to make an impact, um, with a readership beyond just, you know, people who like, <laughs> you just buy, buy Antelope Hill book of the month because that's what people do, you know? And should, and should. Yeah, don't yes. do that. No, I'm not saying I, not I, to, I, by I all so means, please well. do that. I'm just saying like, yeah, it, it, it definitely can go, you know, whatever viral or whatever outside well, of, let's hope that let's, let's pull that it's not just our guys not just our guys who are who well are, uh, I, I, from your lips to god's ears because this is a story that needs to be told um it's not about those of us who, who put it together you know my editors and, and and richard and i it's about these people and their stories that need to be told and people need to get angry people need to 
you know, make something happen you know, and, and organizing their own interests. And here's a way when we say, you know, white people organizing their own interests, here's exactly one of the kinds of ways we can do that. Um, about something specific that was targeted at our people that it's, uh, you know, if the people who are behind this, the, the masterminds of this and going down the line to the marketers and everything else, if they had blue skin and we could see them for what they are, um, I, the, the, their, their stay would be very short after that is all I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think everybody, unfortunately they blend in and, and hide <laughs> and change their names and, you know, present as goyish as possible, but you know, they ain't goyish. That feels like if it's all right, we at least something of a, of a opportunity to transition to Charlottesville or, or do we have more yes. that you want yes. to say? Yes. No, that's them? good because uh, if I'm not careful, I, and when I, and I get too much into this, I get a little fed posty. No, I, um, I, I hear you. Cause oh, I, I hear you. 400,000 murders, 400,000 right. murders. And yeah, Zero criminal liability. Not and, even oh, no criminal had, like like the 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 the, the guarantee people, that they will not be held. The, the murderers colluded with their their fellow their cousins on the other side, you know, in government to ensure that they would never be criminally liable, right? Yes, yes, and then they're going to be you know they'll pay some fines, you know, um, most of their money's protected, and uh, they won't be working in that business anymore. But the company gets to reform in the public interest, supposedly. And they'll be selling the cure for the poison that they sold in the first place. So and, and Mitt Romney's there's... investing in it, right? Doesn't he run some uh, clinics or whatever? I'm sure. I'm absolutely sure. The whole thing makes it me is. Sick. It's it's just terrible. So yeah, I think it's time to end this <laughs> yeah, before, before we get, before we get yeah, before yeah. we we we, uh, we start speaking in coded language using our front stage backstage behavior. <laughs> um, <laughs> Jesus Christ! Speaking of Charlottesville, huh? Yeah, so I wanted to like okay, so I wanted maybe to to I guess we should probably cover for those who who haven't been able to um to follow as closely as we fortunately have and and um and you've been doing great uh write-ups for the hyphen that's uh national-justice.com has you know you there was a period where you blanketed the the whole page which is great and um, well, I think Stryker deserves a little, you know, a little time off for all the work he does. I mean, <laughs> yeah, he's, well, he he's bringing in definitely. major scoops on the, on the regular. Yes. So I think I think he, he has earned a little time away. hundred percent. Uh, uh, and I do want to say that uh, both DK and I have been live blogging or at least live telegramming, I guess, uh, the trial as well. And DK, you've had some, you know, some I know we're going to sit here and blow smoke up each other's butt, but, you know, somebody's <laughs> got to. Um, it's a job that has to be done, you know, and I'm just the man to do it. No, um. Uh, you've had some really great observations and I think having two different voices, you on the third rail telegram channel and me on my own channel. Um, I think we're, you know, we we're catching things that the other might not catch. And I think that if you can't listen to it at work, if you don't, if you're like me and you hate reading, um, and you don't want to read on national hyphen, you can at least follow our telegram channels and you'll get a sense of what's going on. Definitely. And thank you for that. And, um, yeah, I also want to say this is kind of where, like, I was thinking about like, how do I want to, how do we want to talk about it, or how do we, you know, keep this fresh for people who maybe, you know, if, if you can't get enough content about it, or even if you, you know, are just curious. To me, one of the most interesting dynamics of this is because um, I've been following a little bit of uh, Molly Conger's Twitter, just like how um, I, w I want to see what the other side says, you know. Um, sure, I, and, I check it out on the regular. Yeah. Just to make sure I didn't miss something. You know, well, that, okay, so considering and, and it important, maybe I'll consider it important from a so different there were perspective. So there were a couple points where, for example, uh, I remember, for example, during um, Richard Spencer's cross-examination of Seth Whispowee, um, 
there was some disagreement or, or I don't know on our side about like some people were like, Oh, he did great. I know you, you had high praise. I think he did well. I was upset. And I know we were talking about this, um, you know, uh, uh, earlier, I was a little upset because there was a really dramatic moment. And I would tell people like when, when we make this into our, whatever the goyish version of Hollywood is, um, that, uh, uh, that, that the, the way that it's going, the scene is going to play out in the movie that we make that I'm going to write the script for is, is that because there was this really dramatic moment. He like, it, Seth has basically been exposed as a fraud. Um, he, you know, he, 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 it, it's very clear. Like, like the first thing out of the gate, Richard asked him like, what's solo scriptura? And he's like, I, he's like, I, I don't know. It's, uh, it means only scripture, but my Latin's bad and I don't really know. And he's like, okay. So like pretty much, you know, if you have like a, a if you're like a reasonably intelligent person with a high school education, you should be able to answer that question. And, and here's an ostensible Christian reverend with, with a master's in oh. theology or whatever from Princeton theological seminary who, who can't yeah. answer this question. Right. Um, like he couldn't answer whether he thought Jesus was without could, sin. Right, and you just know that people on the jury are like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, I mean, yes. do you believe Jesus without sin? He's like, I don't know. And, and well, Kaplan is there seething of objection, 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 and keeps getting overruled, overruled by Moon. Um, oh, yeah. But but then Richard is like, okay, so can we let's talk about the Battle of Jericho. You know, can you tell me about the Canaanites? He's like, did God love the Canaanites? And, you know, Kaplan objects, Moon overrules, and Seth is like, I don't who are the Canaanites? I mean, who are the Canaanites? He's like, you know, who are the Canaanites? What do you mean? Like, like the people in Canaan, right? He's like, yeah. Oh, they get to the, you know, the city is Jericho. And what happened to the inhabitants of Jericho? Um, yeah. Seth, can't, Seth, I don't actually know. I don't know that I believe that he didn't remember. Because if, for those of you who, you know, out in Rio, Ryan later, who don't remember, you know, where Richard was going with this, and it was very clear to me, and it was very, this is why I was very upset in the moment that he didn't land this punch, because it was right there. Um, God commands Joshua to, bring down the walls of Jericho with the horn and then slaughter, murder every man, woman, child, and animal. That's like mm -hmm. the, not just the men, but the women and the children and even the animals. And I don't even think, yep. he, I don't think they even allowed like war booty. It was like anything valuable had to be destroyed. It couldn't be taken. That was like, <laughs> that was what uh, uh, the volcano demon commanded in, in this story, right? Sorry, I know I'm, yeah. I'm actually pro-Christian, but this is, I mean, to me, this was always the kind of stuff that I was always That's, like. that's some psych psychopathic <laughs> shit. And, and for anybody who's wondering, um, uh, he had presented earlier himself on, during the plaintiff's uh, interrogative as, uh, he, he's this deep Christian, that's why he was there that day. Yeah, out of my that's why deep, he was sincere Christian faith, yeah. To and, bear witness and, uh, for my blah, blah, he, blah. He had, he had done the whole thing about, you know, the reason we have to fight fascism and white nationalism is because God loves everyone, and He would not put up with this racism and and uh, you know homophobia and blah blah blah. <clears throat> so where Richard was wanted to go was exactly that to say, well, oh, does God love everyone? What did He say of the? Yeah, what did He say about the Canaanites? Well, and then and then you right yeah. exactly, and then you have to go like He's caught them in this thing of like either we have to say that God commands this and that you know how to you know there's a kind of obvious angle with that or he has to sort of say well i think the bible is wrong which is just pretty which is i don't think he ultimately would have necessarily had a problem going there given that he would refuse to answer because it's it's true these these libtards and the, these sort of fake christians you know they, they don't believe i i once had a conversation with a i won't say who but just a, a very highly credentialed person in, a, in an academic establishment responsible for overseeing like you know, people who are going to be themselves handing out credentials um, who said, you know, well, you know, there are, I was getting into a debate about what it means to identify. I was like, well, I think, you know, if you, from my perspective, if you don't, um, 
if you don't accept, if you don't take refuge in the three jewels, you're not a Buddhist. And that's kind of like baseline for Buddhism. As, as and I, the, the example I was drawing is like, you know, if you don't, if you don't at a very, you know, I know different, there's arguably different Christian sects will have different ideas about baptism, but if you don't believe in the resurrection, you know, you're, you're not a Christian. She's like, well, I know Christians right. that don't believe in the resurrection. I'm like, well, they're not Christian, you know? Right. <laughs> and, and, and that, but that's the kind of attitude that, that a lot of these people have is they're, they're quote unquote Christians, but they don't believe in the resurrection and they don't believe that Jesus without, was without sin. And, and, uh, they just, you know, they just want uh, butt sex and, and drag queen story hour everywhere. That's their idea oh, yeah. of Christianity or something. So I, 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 I just want to throw this in there. Yeah. I, Please. Just th- about that kind of Christianity. Um, I-, I told you guys this this morning in the chat, uh, the show chat. Oh, yeah. But uh, I got dragged to exactly one of these kind of churches. I didn't know it, uh, a social group, so I couldn't like easily beg off. But it, the, the pastor was a woman, and so like right there, there's the problem. And they uh, also had like a pronounless uh, program as far as like God the parent instead of God the father. Now it's just. Uh, and they passed around the sign-in book, and so I signed in with just one Timothy two twelve. <laughs> and uh, my girlfriend found out, and she's like, "What did you do? Are, are you gonna Are you gonna piss them off?" And she looked it up, and the the actual uh, from the King James version, it's, "But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence." And I'm thinking, how can I get in trouble? I have just quoted, or I've just given right. them a pass a a passage. From the New Testament. And they, I say, they don't even have the cope. They're like, oh, that's the Old Testament, and it was superseded. Like, that doesn't even... No, no, apply. no. And so it's like, exactly how did I troll you? By, <laughs> by, by giving by you something you Saint believe Paul. in? Yeah. Or you're supposed to believe in? Yeah. Right. I don't right. think that's going to work. So nope. anyway, that was just uh, that was just an amusing moment to, to today in, in thinking about these kind of fake Christians versus, you know, like the real... Um, you know, masculine, Absolutely. Well, good old-fashioned Christians. The, the, thing that, the thing that upset me was, was that it, it, it would have been so easy... Because like at one point he was like, I don't remember. Could you refresh my memory? Which you know, for those of you, it's kind of a meme at this point. But but for those listening in the trial, it's like, and it's also a standard procedure. But this is you know, because you're not, if you if you catch a witness in a kind of trap, like one easy way for them to get out is to say they don't remember. So one way to kind of keep them caught in that trap is you you quote refresh their memory by showing them something. Um, the the plaintiffs have been doing this really really poorly like they they think they caught some kind of trap but it's really just you know a, a little we talked about this last week but it was just a little you know a little like just minutiae that are obviously irrelevant they're obviously playing bad faith misinterpretation games and everyone including the judge is just tired of it and calling them out on it um but this was like not like that this was a sub- substantive thing and and all that richard would have had to do was pull out a bible and say, okay, well, let's read from the book of Joshua. And he would have, you know, like, because you say you don't remember. Okay, we're talking about the Bible. This is, a, he, I, I just, in my mind, it was the scene of, like, Richard being like, well, this is a courtroom. It can't be that hard to find a Bible, right? Where's the Bible you swore, <laughs> where's the Bible you swore on? And, you know, and he, like, takes the Bible from whoever and, like, opens it to the book of Joshua and shows him in his face and has him read the, read the part where, where God commands him to slaughter all the, the men, women, children, and animals. And, and then, you know... Uh, it would just be so great, but but you yeah. know I, I thought of it as a missed opportunity, and there and and this is where I was going with this is um, uh, there, you know there have been several points where, like either uh there's some amount of dissension over you know like I thought Parrot started pretty strong and then fumbled before recovering versus I know uh, Kessler was really upset with Parrot for most of Parrot's testimony, um, uh you know and and then other cases where uh. 
everybody were all kind of in agreement, like, oh, that fell really flat, or, you know, like, when Hopper, I, I, I'm sorry, but I think Hopper is fucked, and I think he kind of deserves to be fucked, personally. I, I don't know if I'm going to yeah. piss anyone off with that, but, like, hearing, it's just, like, these, you're just a total spur. Well, like, I, I mean, I I'm get, to- I don't want to... Tried- I was just saying, I have tried to, to, you know, like I always like to say that, you know, there's, there's no white man that's beyond redemption. Um, but we also don't need to have idiots. Right. And yes. I have tried to contextualize this. I was thinking, you know, I, obviously we all posted edgier stuff back as humor back in around 2016, 2017. Um, because we never could have dreamed that within four years, th- right. the world would change to where an obvious joke is used against you. As if it were evidence. A joke that says, like, like, like they were getting grilling Cantwell when Cantwell was like, "This is a joke," and the, and and they had an ex- so-called expert testifier who's like, "Yeah, but he he said it's a joke, but that's just the way of him being serious." It's like, shut the fuck yeah. up, you fucking like. Yeah. And, and and in Dylan Hopper's case, though, and his testimony in like Pistolas, um, these uh, these guys, I mean, they did not help themselves by no. trying to provide context or that you know showing that this yeah. was a joke yeah, they tried their to take it seriously and act like yes. badasses yeah. and it just it, it made them look like sociopaths at, at a minimum like, it made I, them look really bad I, I think we're all in agreement yes. on that and, and everybody said it that's that's where I was going with this is like you will find on our side and I think you know fundamentally is because as, as Borzoi often says the, the, the right memes the truth we are not afraid of the truth we stand for the truth the truth is on our side we are on the side of the truth and you know when the truth is that some of the people who we are aligned with or whatever, uh, however you want to put it, you know, people who have fallen under our umbrella at one point or another behave badly or don't comport themselves well, or, you know, make life harder for themselves and the rest of us. Mm. Typically we're not afraid to 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 call them out on it. And, and we're all in agreement. We're all very public about saying like, okay, this didn't go well for us. Uh, you would ne- you never get that from, from the other side. And that's why I wanted to say, like, I know that there's at least one or two journalists who are going to be listening to this when it goes out, because we've advertised ahead of time that, you know, we have this, this bit with Cantwell coming up. And I'm really glad that you're having to listen to all of us, like prior to listening to that, that actually makes me really happy. Um, and and I just want you to know that, uh, that, that if, if you actually had the truth on your side, um, you wouldn't have to lie like this. Like, for example, I hear I want to pull out, and I and I hope Molly, I hope Molly, you're listening to this uh, right now, because uh, Molly Conger had some had some. This is the kind of misrepresentation. This is the kind of thing that we we just don't we're not doing. When something goes well, when there's a when there's an obvious trap. I mean, maybe we have differing perspectives on it, but it, at the very least, um, you know, we're we're gonna say like, oh well, they're doing this, and and this is what's happening, and and, and trying to contextualize and say what the actual issue is. Um, there was some stuff with Jeff Scoop that came up, for example, that that was like. Um, not, you know, it was a question of interpretation. We'll see how how the jury treats it, I guess. So, mm-hmm. so during the during the 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 testimony of of, of Elizabeth Signs, um, who perjured herself multiple times, um, including her her because she's she like, Jason provided you know documentary evidence of her involvement with the National Lawyers Guild, which she claimed not right. to know about the existence of. I mean, she's like, oh, I may have attended a meeting once. It's like, okay, you lying bitch. Oh, I just don't know what they're about. But no, you actually were you uh, you, you were a card carrying member, yes. Um, so, so, uh, so basically she says throughout her, 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 like the, the, the initial kind of phase of the questioning by Cantwell, she claims she's not Antifa. She's never been Antifa. She doesn't know. She does. She did not know during the Unite the Right and still does not know today anything about Antifa in any kind of specific way. Um, and she was just there 
you know, to, to watch the clowns and the puppies make little kissy faces at each other, uh, et cetera. Right. So, so, uh, so Cantwell then plays a video that she deleted. She initially had up and then she deleted for reasons that are kind of in dispute. Um, uh, she eventually claimed that it was because she was crying in it where Cantwell was like, no, it's because he had a guy with a weapon in it. Um, Molly Conger in her tweet misrepresents this in a really interesting way. This exchange, she says, this is why Cantwell wanted to keep playing the video. Someone in the crowd starts a chant of ah, anti-anti-fascista. Elizabeth agrees she hears it now, but doesn't actually recall hearing it at the time. Now, there's a lot to unpack in this little tweet by oh, Miss Molly Conger. It's, it's presented as just the most innocent little exchange nothing well, more than that come on not even just yeah it's like it's like you wouldn't even like know if i'm reading this thread i wouldn't it's like okay somebody starts a chant no 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 and you you know this molly because it was a huge dynamic moment in the trial it was i don't know how definitive it's going to be for the jury necessarily but it was a huge moment because it wasn't just that somebody in the crowd started the chant elizabeth signs is on video loudly chanting along with the chant into the microphone that she's using to record the chant. It's not just yep. that someone in the crowd starts it. It's that the chant gets p- picked up and Elizabeth signs herself, chants it multiple times. Like yep. she, top of her, you know, loud, uh, loudly, clearly, full-throated chanting, ah, anti, 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 fashi, or whatever the fuck. I don't know their fucking stupid bullshit. I'm just, uh, she is chanting along and it's and it's not exactly i don't know what the chant is but i know that it's got a good beat and you can dance to it well that that was the that was the yeah i love that was so great because i wasn't it wasn't clear initially what happened but kaplan or whoever somebody on the plaintiff side had to object like uh i know that mr mr campwell uh has because all you can hear on the record on the on the line was like the chant uh auntie auntie uh uh whatever the fuck it was uh auntie 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 fascista i think is the is the cadence and um, mm-hmm. you just heard it like se- maybe maybe seven or eight times at least, and and that's when she jumped in and was like, "I know that this is entertaining for Mr. Cantwell, but uh, he needs to stop dancing, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's a form of badgering the witness." Which is probably I'm sure that's true as a matter of courtroom procedure. I just about fucking like died laughing. Oh when- my god! Yeah. <laughs> well, that's <laughs> just like <laughs> he's officially his new nickname is no longer the crying Nazi. He is the dancing Nazi. The da- <laughs> Uh, the you got the dancing Israelis and the dancing Nazi, uh, but but no, I mean the thing is, and I, I like again, you want you never know, I and mean, we only have access to the audio. We don't even have a video feed, but I have to imagine the jury is there watching it because, like, I, what I what what I have to assume they've got to be amused. Was happening is, is yeah, of course they're amused, but beyond that, it's like he is how to say. What I imagine he's doing, it was a mockery of her. Like, yes, he's dancing. He's like, oh, look at this catchy thing. I'm like dancing along to, but it's like. You weren't. He's 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 communicating viscerally, bodily, how enthusiastic mm-hmm. and wrapped up she was in this chant. And, and Molly leaves out tellingly again. Uh, the next question, he's like, "So what does that mean?" She's like, "What does what mean?" He's like, "What does the chant means, Elizabeth?" And and she's like, "Well, I don't know." He's like, and she, he's like, "Really, you don't know what antifascista means?" She's like, extremely sheepishly. She's like, "Well, I guess it probably means anti-fascist. I don't know." <laughs> And it was oh just she God. was so defeated. Uh, let me, and <laughs> here's a little here's a little behind the scenes with Cantwell. Um, everybody thinks that uh, now he is when he's showing these videos with all these different plaintiffs, and he's like pointing out all the people around them with weapons or flags or banners that it wasn't some little innocent church group or students 
that these are actually, you know, hardcore Antifa all around these people. Um, a lot of the video he's seeing, when he takes them through it and walks them through it, he is literally seeing for the first time. He has not gone into this knowing what all of the plaintiff's evidence is because of his situation, you know, being held in jail during during the duration of this trial. Um, so he goes into it a little better than I could. But I just want you to know, like, that was unfolding for him and getting the chant. That was a surprise to him. And he right. actually got to the part where she was saying, hey, Josh, we need to come to your house. Um, and, and Wait, so he when, didn't uh, know he, that she said Josh in that in that video? No. And oh, he my not, God. He was, okay, it was so me, natural. I thought he had her, like, been from the start. No, he did not even know that was coming. And <laughs> on top of that, um, he said he – but he knew he was on something when uh, immediately the plaintiff's attorney started jumping up and objecting. Yeah. And he was like – Whoa, he did what the not, fuck just happened? Our, yeah. Until our interview today, he wow. had not put two and two together that the Josh there was Josh, who was one of Judge Moon's law clerks. That's wow. the Josh that yeah, she I was saying. Yeah, I figured as soon as as soon house. as that and and Kessler, uh, that's I think what set them over the edge. It's like because because uh, Jason Kessler has now been muzzled. Uh, uh, I, I want to return to this because this speaks to really just the whole the First Amendment nature of of what's going on. Not to be a Constitution cuck, but whatever. We'll circle back. Um, but. Yeah, Kessler pointed. I mean, to me, it was I think pretty clear. I'm I was already familiar with this storyline of, um, and and they keep referring to the to the motion as being in limine, which I take to mean uh, I'm not a legal expert, but you know, uh, limen limen in Latin means the, the the gateway or the threshold. So I presume this just means it's in like he the, the judge hasn't issued a a final ruling yet on on this matter. Do, do I understand that correctly, or do you? Know? I honestly I don't think that's the case. I think, and I, again, I'm not a lawyer either, so I think. What it basically means is it's already been limited. I mean, not, I know that's not the same. Oh, okay, word, yeah. But, so it's at the start. Yeah. But, but, so, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's it started at it, from the from the beginning. It has been limited. Like for instance, the Hafey report, they cannot bring in because it's it's hearsay. It's literally even though it was yes a former federal prosecutor who was hired by the city that pretty much exonerates all these people of any civil or criminal liability. Um, it can't be entered because it is hearsay. Now that said, like uh, one of the things that Cantwell was able to do, and he'll he'll talk about it in his interview is because Whispelwee was quoted in that, he could ask him about what he said to Mr. Heafy. Right, which he did, yeah. Yeah. So that's, yeah. And, and so I think that things like um, the, the the collusion between the law clerks and Elizabeth Sines, who's one of the plaintiffs, as well as, uh, uh, I think, even the very fact that one of his uh, law clerks is an Israeli Jew, uh, I think that has all been limited, and just like the Heafy report was limited, or, or excluded, I, I think is the right is the right legal term. Well, I guess we'll have to see how this. Um, yeah, how Monday this, the defense yeah. starts their case, and we'll, so not, we'll, well see not well not even goes. that's the other thing is the kind of like a, you know thirty thousand foot uh, storyline on on this is um, you know the uh, I believe the trial originally was scheduled for four weeks. We are now yes. entering the fourth week, and the the pro, the plaintiffs have still not rested their case. They were they were yeah. claiming they they asked for an extra week to make their case. <sighs> And they still failed. Uh, and and uh, the cross exam because uh, the last who was the last up was uh, I I'm blanking. But but the cross examination has was it, not was it scoop. Yeah, thank was you. Yes, cross examination from the defendants of uh, Commander Scoop has not completed yet. So yep. you know, like, so we'll at least have a little bit of that in the morning, and then hopefully on Monday by and Monday, and then hopefully they'll rest their case. Yeah, the and then, and then so I I I mean. I understand the, the the desire. There was a, there was a moment at, at one point where um, uh, 
where uh, Cantwell was trying to bring something up on Cross, and uh, Judge Moon was like, look, I know this came up on direct, but because the, the rule is basically you can only ask about something in cross if it came up in direct, which the plaintiffs have been using in very sneaky and underhanded ways to exclude all kinds of extremely relevant and <laughs> context from all sorts of things. But um, which I mean, for whatever, to a certain extent, that's just their job as lawyers. But because uh, that's how the system works. But anyway, the 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 Judge Moon was like, look, I know this came up on direct. So in a sense, you you can you are you know, you are entitled to bring it up on cross, but like we don't have to go down every rabbit hole or rabbit trail, he called it. Uh he's like, We don't have to go down every rabbit trail. Like in other words, I, I took that as an interesting like I, I wonder how much um I mean it's just this like you you just wanna know what's going on in the minds of the jury. It's so infuriating. But when you see the judge repeatedly slam the plaintiffs Shut them down, and that's that's the, the the point. I mean, the 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 libtards and the and the Antifa on Twitter are very very mad about this. They thought they had Moon in the bag because he has these Antifa uh, clerks, and and they do not, and they're very very upset about it. Um, but but the 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 interesting thing to me is like, okay, I mean, I I understand. Like at this point, he just wants this fucking stupid case out of his courtroom, you know. But uh, beyond that, it's it's like. In a way, it's. I mean, similarly, I think there was a, there was a there was a point where um, uh, the who was it? Some they were the the plaintiffs were or they were they were mad because of some of the questions that Richard or, or or Chris or someone was was asking on on cross, and they're like objection relevance, and then Moon snapped at them. He's like, I don't think most of the testimony was relevant. Go ahead. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and absolutely. It was, and so it's just one of these that things was, where he's like, yeah, you that know, was a you, fucking killer moment. Right. Yeah. It's what if you're a jury member, like, what are you thinking at that? I mean, you have to be thinking like, you know, because the, the question before you is, did these people engage in a, in a conspiracy to engage in, in, in racially motivated violence? You have a car accident, a car crash as as your violence, pretty, pretty much the only you know thing that you with, with no, nobody knew the guy involved in that. Nobody gave him any instructions. There was no right. contact with him. But that's the only real. That's but the that's the only, only real thing you can point from, to other than like kind of back and right, forth. Beyond, you beyond know. some scuffles. Right. Yeah. You know, some simple, some simple street brawls that you're going to you're going to get in a thing like this. Of course, you are. And everybody kind of under go, both sides went in understanding and expecting that that was what was going to happen. You know, the, the, they're trying to paint that on our side as like, oh, right. you knew it was going to happen. Therefore, you intended to cause violence. It's like, no. And there's all kinds of reasons why, you know, we don't, we don't want to litigate the thing. And, here. and I think the defense has done a good job of, of proving Definitely. that. You know, and I'm sure they're going to continue to do prepared right. for violence. But that doesn't mean that they were, you know. Exactly, and and, and all they have to go in, and this was what I, I don't know if you were able to bring this up with Chris, but I I was really uh, uh, upset that they seem to have taken this tack in just the last few days of trying to like when we like use people talking about quote triggering the libs as like trigger means provoke, you intentionally provoke them, therefore you know uh you're responsible for the violence that they cause after you provoke them by triggering them. It's like that's not what trigger means. You're lying about the no. meaning of triggering. I. I... I, I understand your point, but I think they they kind of got it across. Um, and I think this was um, I don't know. If it was, it was Josh Jones. Smith, I think, who said the thing about like, are you if a if a man? Well, no, 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 oh, sorry. no, 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 no. Um, I think it was either uh, uh, Kolnick or Jones, one of the two defendants' lawyers, who uh, when he when he uh, he he asked the line of questioning to uh, Peter Simi, the uh, the mind reader, the anti-white <laughs> nationalist, or the anti-white mind reader, sociologist. He said, um, so this is kind of like, oh, are you making this akin to 
um, when a uh, abused spouse uh, they bring they bring it on themselves by saying something to the the abuser, and it, it, basically he was getting at that like so is this pr provocation by saying these words is, does that justify the attack on the person, and uh, I th I think he did a pretty good job of just kind of like saying you know basically saying you can hear things without having to you know get into it. it's not automatic if you hear something you don't like to. to immediately go to fists um i'm so i'm not really um yeah no he, he analogized well it to like a batter yeah, yeah. batter so i was like yo you said something that upset me and therefore i come call you know i i i, I beat you you know as i as, a, as a i beat. get to beat you yeah right yeah and 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 which is you know psychologically very much the dynamic i think a lot of conservatives uh not so much our guys but but definitely there's a lot of people on the right wing generally who, who have this kind of battered um domestic violence victim attitude um, but, uh, yeah, no, I, I just found it interesting that, that, you know, uh, one of the kind of implicit points that the judgment was making was like, look, not, I understand, you don't have to like rebut every single one of the points that they make. Like very few of those points have anything to do with the, with the central case that they're ostensibly trying to make. And like, you know, it's not actually, you know, you're entitled to, but it's actually, you're probably going to be better off. And I, I do think at some level, the defense will be better off rather than trying to, uh, uh, you know, exhaustively go one by one through every single one of the allegations that were made and proving them definitively wrong, which I'm sure they could do just about. Um, but it's probably a better strategy to be, you know, to paint in somewhat broader strokes and be like, look, we had a permit. We had no plan to violent for, for any kind of violence. On the contrary, we actively wanted to avoid it. We did everything we could to avoid it. Antifa made that impossible, uh, mm -hmm. and this is the result. You know, and that's a very simple story. It's a true story. Um, the video evidence that the plaintiffs themselves provided are like slam dunk proof of the truth of that story, uh, as we saw over and over again on Cross, and we saw that from on you know the video evidence that, that within with uh, Seth Whistlewee's. Uh, testimony. We saw that in Elizabeth Sines' videos from Facebook that she took. We, we saw that over and over and over again. And we're, I'm sure, going to continue seeing that as we move forward. Yeah. Um, the question is, you know, how, how long it takes. I, I, would, I, I think the jurors would be very, very um, grateful to have this wrapped up in a week. I don't know how realistic that is, but, but I think that would, that would probably help them more than hurt them, even if it meant they had to skip over some yeah. stuff. It might, it might endear them to the jury a, a lot more as well. Um, we're going to wrap up a little bit uh, early sure. since we have this interview with Cantwell, yeah, yeah. but is there in the next like five minutes or 10 minutes, do you have anything else you wanted to talk about? Uh, not that I can think of other than I really, really hope that they get to call, uh, Dr. Kevin McDonald as an expert witness on the Jew. <laughs> oh, that would be, yes. And then maybe David Irving as an expert witness on the Jew. <laughs> <laughs> call Mike Pinovich as an expert on the Holocaust. I mean, come on. Yeah, that's... Yeah, I, but I just I'd love to see like Lipstadt versus Irving Part Two, yeah, right. Thriller in Sevilla. You know. <laughs> um, we have so many great show titles for this, but obviously we have to keep Better Call Cantwell. I I just uh, yeah for this one because we literally call him Cantwell. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, well, we better call. We have to call it Better Call Cantwell because we literally called Cantwell. We literally this called Cantwell. I'm so we looking forward. I haven't had a chance yet well, to listen to that. As soon as the show goes up, I'll. I'll uh, I'm very much looking forward to listening to that. I hate actually hurting my own brand, but I don't know if we'll have a sidecar this week, based on whether or not um, anybody else wants to have me on. Because I'm trying to spread the word around as you know to as wide an audience as possible. And I know we have a loyal audience, but you know I, you know, I want to go to where some shows that may have some overlap, but may have some people who don't normally listen to us. 
So I don't know if I'll be doing any more this week. I, I think Mark Collette wanted me to come on his at some point. Nice. Um, but we'll have we'll be back to a regular show with full cast on probably Saturday or Sunday of next week. So don't worry about that. Do you want to give some plugs on what you got going on with the National yeah, Institute I have, for Gamer uh, Review? Yeah, we have and uh, the next episode of the National Institute for Gamer Review is up. We are um, it's going to be on the Madden NFL football game video game series. So that should be up by the time you hear this. Okay. And uh, you know the usual panel plugs for us. You can catch uh, both coverage of the, the uh, trial as it's going on, uh, coming from both me and DK on the Third Rail Telegram channels and my Telegram channel. Um, and then our daily coverage at uh, national-justice.com uh, is where we do the, the lengthier write-ups. Uh, sorry, I am a bit brain-dead, and I don't know if you can hear it in my voice. I'm getting a little bit hoarse at this point. Um uh, go to national-justice.com for Eric Stryker's incredible journalism and the trial coverage. Dissident-mag.com uh, has some some great uh, journalism coming from the folks that bring you Fast the Nation. Go to National Justice Party to see the latest and greatest, including some new speeches from last week's NJP event uh, from Greg Conti, uh, Eric Stryker, and Mike Pinovich. Uh, go to antelopehillpublishing.com for all your publishing needs, and especially for my book. I'm sorry, but I'm going to just... I got to tip my own horn a little bit. And uh, this whole episode, by the way, is dedicated to my partner on this project, Richard McClure. Again, this wouldn't have been possible without him. Thanks to both of you. can join us every yeah. week. Yeah. Oh, I, I appreciate that, man. Join us at the TRS Radio Network behind the paywall for premium content. It's the rightstuff.biz slash paywall. And that's it for this quiet Sunday. Again, listen after the music, and you'll get to hear uh, our interview with uh, Christopher Cantwell live from uh, Virginia whichever prison and check the show notes there's information on how you can send him letters both in virginia as well as his primary uh uh federal facility that he's at um, yeah i don't know if you mentioned it on on that interview but he he did say on his interview with coach on full house that uh he hasn't received a single letter so far and so i made a little mental note that i definitely want to send him something personally and i highly encourage anyone any of our listeners please send him some fan mail because because he has not received a single letter so far well, and, and that's that's at this point it's criminal, and I'm going to get on it myself. Um, I I that's that's I didn't know that I didn't ask him about that. And you can also throw me some commissary cash at it, the uh, URL will be in the, the show notes as well. So I guess that's it for this week. It is uh, Quiet Sunday, and I have not written a single funny joke for the outro, much less uh, much less. Well, I guess I never write a funny joke for the outro, but I always. <laughs> I haven't even written a dad joke for it, so I guess we're just going to leave it at Mr. Producer. Hail victory. See ya, Kyle. We were drawn to the alt-right. Heretical, aesthetical, young and white. Helpless cuts replaced by the ones who fight. Oh, we were bound to stand together. Johnny Z, we kept up the attack, and now we'll all fail victory. Rahul is our destiny, look out you, we'll all fail victory. Okay, I think that did it. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you fine. Oh, okay, I, I know that your time might be limited, so I'll try to keep it very straight and uh, straightforward to the point. This is going to be... 
Um, well, the, uh, I, I'll tell you when, before we start that the call is limited to 15 minutes. I can call you back if need be. Okay. Um, so I guess okay. just let, let's get right into it. How do you feel about uh, your three weeks into the trial? You'll be able to put on your defense next week. How do you feel about uh, how the trial is going so far? I think it's going pretty good, man. I, you know, I uh, especially for me, I don't think they've laid a finger on me. I don't think I've even been accused of anything really this far. Um, so I would say that things are going great. And then on top of that, I think I've embarrassed every single one of their witnesses who comes up Absolutely. and plays on the stack that there's no weapons there, and then they're chanting anti-fascista while I dance in a courtroom, right? So <laughs> that was it's, the it's highlight of my Friday. Being, what's that? That was the highlight of my Friday, listening to that and having oh. you uh, <laughs> admonish for dancing during testimony. Admonish for dancing in the courtroom was uh, was a good one. I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed that. And, you know, Friday was my birthday, as a matter of fact, and I couldn't have asked for a better present. <laughs> admonish for dancing in the courtroom during the case that was supposed to ruin my financial life for eternity, right? And so I, I think things are going pretty well. Um, you know, I've, I've embarrassed their fake pastor. I've embarrassed their fake white supremacy expert. Um, I got their, you know, the anti-Semitism expert to say there's no such thing as an innocent joke. And, you know, I mean, I, I think I think it's been a thorough thrashing of the other side. And, Absolutely. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking that they really regret dragging me into this mess right about now. So. I was, that was one of my, I, I don't want to, you know, get anybody's hopes up one way or the other. I want to manage expectations. But if there's one thing I can 100% guarantee out of this, this has not gone the way the prosecution expected it to, and you are in large part the reason why. I think you mean to say persecution. This is not a government case. Uh, That's right, persecution, uh, the plaintiffs. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Um, yes. Um, um, but, yeah, I don't think that they – I think that they have – you know, I, I've said it a few times. Look, these people live in their Twitter mentions, right? They don't understand what it's like to be cross-examined anymore. They, they, everybody who criticizes them gets banned from Twitter. So all they know is how great they are, right? All they know is how wonderful it is that they're fighting white supremacy. <laughs> That's all they yeah. know. And so yeah, when somebody's like, hey, look at the weapons in the hands of the people that you're filming. <laughs> you're like, wait a second. Those aren't weapons. Those are community defense tools. And they oh, just yeah. don't understand that that doesn't fly in a courtroom. You know? <laughs> no, no. And i got to tell you, uh, uh, Molly Conger, socialist dog mom, who's been live blogging this on her Twitter feed, uh, she has expressed extreme indignation when – the defendants, particularly you, get a chance to cross-examine the plaintiffs on the stand. Like, they should, should get to excuse you, and you have no right to even question their word. How dare you, yeah. Mr. Kennedy? Like, what do you mean you're giving this guy the right to talk? What did we bother assaulting them for if you were going to let them speak, right? It completely <laughs> yeah. defeats the purpose of our crime wave, you know, if you're going to let these people talk. And so, you know, they, they, they are incapable of comprehending these things because they spend their days – lying and committing crimes to prevent themselves from hearing the, the type of things that they're hearing in this courtroom. And so, you know, it's it's something that they are not, you know, they're not emotionally equipped at the very least to deal with. You know? And, yeah. and the, the big the big joke in my mind, you know, I, I said to um, Michael Block, one of the plaintiff's counsel, right before we got started, I said, are you ready to lose in a crying Nazi? You know? <laughs> 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 I like, struck that off. And walked away from me, and you know, I don't. I don't think he had any idea what he was in for, right? Because you know, here's the other thing. You know, if anybody's been watching the public record of this case, I've been submitting written filings, and I've gotten smoked on like every legal argument I've made, right? People are mm -hmm. making all these like lawyer memes about me. I've heard, 
But, you know, I, I have not made a whole lot of successful legal arguments, and I've been just venting my frustrations into the public record of this case, you know, accusing them of, you know, bad faith and whatnot. And it really hasn't gone very well for me. And I think that they thought the radical agenda character was going to walk into the courtroom and, and you know, carelessly drop racial epithets and curse people out and be completely uncontrolled and not you know, do anything properly. Now, while I have dropped a few N-bombs and named a Jew or two, uh, <laughs> it has not been, you know, an uncensored entertainment program quite like the radical agenda. I have I have actually, you know, tried to make a, you know, arguments based on the evidence and, and expose the truth. And I don't think that they were they were at all prepared for uh, for the sort of controlled chaos that I've been unleashing on them. Absolutely. Um, one thing that people have observed, I don't know how much you're able to get feedback. Uh, I know that you have uh, people telling you a little bit about what's happening out in the, the public sphere. But what people, one thing that a lot of people in our circuits have observed is you almost alone among the defendants is making more of a holistic case or, or defending more of a holistic case where it's not just about making sure that you're separated from anything the plaintiffs are bringing in, but rather wholly undermining the testimony of plaintiffs, of expert witnesses, in a way that doesn't even necessarily benefit you as an individual, but the whole of the defense. Has, has that been what it felt like for you in there? Well, it, you know, I said this in my opening statement, which was that it would be the easiest thing for me to do. The easiest thing in the world is for me to go in there and be like, I don't know these people. If there was a conspiracy, I wasn't involved in it, and I wouldn't have to ask a single question of a single plaintiff. Because until because until Devin Willis, you know, you know, had this epiphany four and a half years later that maybe he smelled my pepper spray, no, none of them accused me of doing anything to them, right? Like, mm -hmm. none of them said Christopher Cantwell caused my injury. They just said, you know, Christopher Cantwell's part of a conspiracy. So all I have to do is ask my co-defendants, hey, did we conspire? Was I part of your group? Did, was I, did, did we, how many text messages did we? Like, I was not, you know, I wasn't a planner of the event, much less a criminal conspiracy, right? right. So that would be the easiest thing in the world for me to do. But it would also be very dull. And I am not for dullness. I'm, I spend, I've been in prison way too long. I want to have some fun, right? And so I, I decided that I would have higher aspirations for this trial and try to show these people what happened, you know, because what's at stake here is the narrative, you know, like the narrative mm -hmm. is what these people value the most. And we're going to let them have it. No, we don't want them. We don't want the public to think that we got off, that we beat it. That's not what we want. We want these people to say that I don't care what James Fields confessed to. You're not owed a penny because you because because you are a bunch of armed criminals who are running around starting a riot. And so you don't deserve anybody's help from this courtroom. That's what I that's what I hope to accomplish. And you know, and if I can make people take another look at the Fields case, all the better, because that is one of the worst travesties of justice that I've ever had the misfortune to witness. You know? Absolutely. And so that's 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 what I've got, you know, it's the easiest thing in the world for me to go in there and be like, Yeah, I don't know these guys, I'll sit here and say nothing and nobody will, you can't touch me, you know. So now, if I'm gonna be yeah. dragged from Illinois to Virginia <laughs> in a, in a, in, a, in handcuffs with a black box, you know, I might as well try to uh, accomplish something on that. Absolutely. You know, um, obviously you have bias here, but just how, do you, how has, has the plaintiff made anything resembling uh, uh, a case that there was a conspiracy to commit racially motivated violence? We've seen them bring on the sob stories. We've seen them bring on the, oh, uh, everybody was peaceful until those evil Nazis attacked, the Fire Nation attacked. Um, and we've seen them bring on expert testimony that has nothing to do with whether there was conspiracy. But has anything have I missed something that they've actually made a legal case in your mind? That, that I, I think that 
I, I think that they have done a very poor job of it. Uh, you know, their, their whole case hung on the expert, okay? Because there is no evidence of, of, of an unlawful agreement, okay? And that's the definition of conspiracy, an agreement to do an unlawful purpose, okay? There's zero evidence of that. And so the whole entire purpose of the white supremacy expert was to say that, I mean, they would, they would disagree with my assessment of this, but what I believe the white supremacy expert was trying to convey is that their ideas are criminal in nature, and to transmit them one to another constitutes conspiracy. Okay, that the, well, whole point, Jesus. that the whole entire purpose of what these people do is one big violent criminal conspiracy, and our laws just haven't been updated to fix it yet, right? And which is essentially the argument behind every hate speech law ever passed, right? So, you know, the mm-hmm. idea being that when you go and you say things about people based on race, ethnicity, religion, whatever, you name the Jew, then people want to hurt them, and therefore you're not allowed to name the Jew anymore. And so they're basically trying to make that argument and just squeeze it into a conspiracy case. And, you know, I think that, you know, if anybody had the opportunity to read that expert report, you know, he put, you know, him and Glee put 66 pages of effort into that at $1,000 a page. And so, you know, I don't think that they... Uh, and the report is not evidence, right? Only his testimony is evidence. Well, like, mm-hmm. his testimony was nothing. Like I, like, I was like, what? why did you even do this? Why did you pay this guy $60,000? He didn't even touch us, you know? And then on top of that, I got to make a fool out of him. I said, okay, well, you say white supremacy is violence, and uh, Robin DiAngelo, Michelle Alexander, and Ibram X. Kennedy all say that white supremacy is normal, that that is just the way of the world. And, and he wouldn't disavow that on the stand. So... You know, I don't think that – I really don't think that – I think that their attempt was to have the white supremacy expert do this, and he catastrophically failed at his task. And so Absolutely. I don't think that they – you know, there's, there's a debate right now about um, wh- what happens going forward. They asked to streamline the trial instead of calling me and Kessler uh, as adverse witnesses in their case, that they would keep their case open while we put on our defense, and then they would just have an unlimited cross-examination of us. And I'm saying, no, absolutely not, because you have not made a case against me. There's no reason for me to put on a defense. Why would I call myself as a witness? Why would I take this stand? Why would I go under oath? Why would I present any evidence at all when you have not managed to present any evidence that I was involved in a conspiracy? I'll just rest right now. Why would I do that? You know. And so that's, that's the attitude that I have now is that you know, if, they don't, if they don't call me as a witness, like, I'm going to end up breaking some of my promises made in the opening statement in that – I'm not going to introduce the body camera video. I'm not going to take the stand. I'm not going to show them the video of me getting pepper sprayed. I'm not going to show them the video of Lindsay Elizabeth Moore's stealing my body camera because there's no case against me. I'll just rest. I'll just let yeah. the jury have the case now, and they'll say there's no evidence of a conspiracy. Let them go. Well, there was word that you were going to, uh, as part of your defense, possibly try to bring in the Heathy report, which has up to now been disallowed. Is there going to be – is anything to that? I mean, would you be able to, or, or how does that work? We can't bring the Heathy – the Heathy report is not admissible because it's hearsay, and, and, it's, and it's classically hearsay. I mean, it's, just, it's, it's, uh, it's a guy wrote a paper and said, you know, here's what I think about what happened, and here's what here's, – it's hearsay within hearsay. He says, you know, you're hearing him say it in the report, and he's telling you what he heard other people say. So okay. the, the Heathy report is not admissible. What I can do, what I managed to do a little bit, and, and I think they improperly cut me off when I was questioning Rev. Seth Dubb, the, the fake pastor, um, was I started asking him about what he told Tim Hafey. And he said things like the police became the enemy, the police were protecting the white supremacists, and that's why we hate the police. And, and Whisper, we just denied that he remembered what he told Hafey, which is obviously a lie. Um, 
but you know, I was you're you're able to ask people questions about it, but you can't introduce the report. Mm. They didn't even let me continue asking the questions, which I thought was improper. Um, but you know, it is what it is. You got to go with the judge. Yeah. Um, more than anyone there, I think you probably have the ability to read the room. Uh, how has the jury been reacting to you, you, your particular uh, time on the stand and defending yourself, and also just to the other defendants in general? So my, I, I have a limited firsthand understanding of how the jury reacts to me because when I'm questioning witnesses, I'm facing the other direction. Okay. Um, every once in a while, I turn around and try to get a grasp, and I, I have a, I have a sense of a couple of jurors who are, shall we say, more on my side than others. Um, and, you know, that is something that I had a, a degree of expectation of from what I kept track of during jury selection. Um, mm-hmm. I am told that there are moments, I'm told by my co-defendants that they're keeping... You have one minute left. And that, uh, it, that, you know, they perk up at certain moments and that at others, you know, it seems that half the jury hates me. Um, if you're down to continue this, I'll call you back after this thing cuts us off. That work? Okay, that'd be great. Okay. Uh, my, my, my perception of it is that half the jury hates me, the other half is loving the show, and that, um, but at the end of the day, if the half that hates me just hates me for being a dick and does their job, that, you know, they haven't proven a conspiracy, so their personal opinions about me are neither here nor there. Um, you know, when I, when I opened, when I did my opening statement, I dropped, I said fucking nigger and talked about my cop. Like, I thought that that was probably going to piss people off. But but that was a strategy because those things were going to come up during the course of the trial anyway. And so yeah, you took the sting out of them. Yeah, exactly. Make you know you're going to hear me say the most horrible things that I've ever said. They've been cherry picked by an army of Jews. Like, of course you're going to hear me say bad things. So I better say it now so that okay. So um, yeah, so I think uh, I, I guess uh, the thing cut us off, but I more or less finished the point of you know yeah you're going to hear all these terrible things during the course of this trial. I might as well say them now. <laughs> And then, you know, when they and, – and it's a good juxtaposition, I think, too, because the only time that the plaintiffs mentioned Antifa in their opening statement was to deny that their clients would ever have anything to do with Antifa, right? But, you know, Friday we've literally got them chanting Antifa, <laughs> right? You know, Rev. Seth Dove is out there talking about the battalions of Antifa who saved his life twice and, and, and you know, about the community defense tools, right? And so – you know, the idea that these people are like, oh, yeah, uh, our clients have nothing to do with Antifa, that, that has been completely blown out of the water, and now they Absolutely. know that they're liars. Yeah, well, okay, you know that I'm a racist. I'm a professional racist. As a matter of fact, before they took my payment processing away, I was a pretty commercially successful racist. And now you know that about me, and you're not going to be surprised by that during the course of this trial, but you are going to be surprised when Elizabeth Sines tells you that my friends don't carry weapons. <laughs> Here they are on my video, armed to the teeth. You know? Oh, that's so, been the, the, the best part of this is having you just get up. I mean, it's already – the plants are long-winded. They're annoying. They're nebbish. They have you know, these yeah, great accents. And uh, it's got to be as tiresome to the jury as it is to, to you and to us in the audience. And then when it's finally like, yeah, I've got some questions, Your Honor. I mean, it's like you jump up there like Columbo and just like fire them off. And it's got to be entertaining. Even to the jury that doesn't like you, it's like, well, at least we get a little bit of comic relief now. Buffy's also right. making these great points. It is, it yeah. is the funniest. And here's the, here's the big, big gag about this, too, okay? If you pay attention, what I'm showing them is plaintiff's exhibit XYZ. Plaintiff's exhibit, not mine, exactly. okay? This is their evidence that I'm using, all right? I've been in prison for 22 months, okay? 
navigator out there figuring this out for me, right? I'm in the courtroom, okay? I had, like, I did a bunch of work right before the FBI broke my door down, okay? And I submitted this, like, 350-page document to the court with 139 exhibits totaling 10 gigabytes of data, all right? So I knew a pretty good idea about what was going on here. And I did that in January. I submitted that January 21st, 2020. And then at 3.30 a.m. on January 23rd, 2020, the FBI broke my door down, and I ain't been out of jail since. All right? And so, and then I got my data when I was over at Marion, Illinois. Uh, in, like, September, I got access to my data again. And then they shipped me out in October. And then they left me. And when I left the, the prison, they didn't let me take any of my papers with me. So, like, all my notes, all of my data, all of my prepared opening statement, everything that I had worked on is in Marion, Illinois. Okay? Oh, and they shipped me over here, give me no time to prepare nothing. And then they put me in a courtroom with a court-provided laptop and a hard drive from the plaintiffs with their evidence on it. Okay? And that's my trial prep. <laughs> Jesus. The court-provided laptop. And so what happened on Friday with Elizabeth Sines, I had never seen that video before. I had never seen it. I'm just like, let me go search her name in the plaintiff's exhibits. And I found mm-hmm. her live stream video. And I said, oh, well, that's probably worth watching, right? So, like, I have a little bit, t- bit of time with that laptop right before court starts. I have a little bit of time at lunch, and then we take these 20-minute breaks. And that's the time that I have to go through the evidence <laughs> and prepare. So I watched this oh eight-minute video, and I'm like, weapon, weapon, weapon. Oh, that's a fun chant. I just want to play this I go up. Oh. And, and, like, and, and you might as well dance. Yeah. And I'm like, I can't believe that they, like, I can't believe that this is happening. You know? And they played, and the plaintiffs played a clip from that video. This is an important part to understand, right? You know? The, 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 the system would like to think that lawyers are innocent participants in this, okay? But here's, here's something that's really telling. When they had a direct examination of Ms. Signs, they played a clip from that video, which is from the car crash to the time she runs down the alley, okay? Well, that's like six, seven minutes into this eight-minute video, all right? They know what's at the beginning of that video. They told mm-hmm. the jury that they don't carry weapons, that they don't hang out with Antifa, Meanwhile, they just played a clip of a video where the beginning of the video was her running around with a bunch of armed people screaming, ah, auntie, 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 fascista. So, you know, these people are getting proven to be so dishonest by their own stuff. And I think that that's the biggest embarrassment of it for the people who are paying attention. It's one thing if it's defense exhibit one. It's another thing when it's plaintiff's exhibit making you look like a fool. Absolutely. And this is – they had four years and $15 million to prepare for this, and this is the best yeah. they can do. And meanwhile, and, and, and we were prohibited from talking about their money. By the way, there was a motion in limine saying they were not allowed to say what, what a monstrosity of a crowdfunding campaign. You know, this hashtag sue Nazi nonsense that fun, mm-hmm. fun, funded this lunacy. You know, um, yeah. And but of course, as soon as they started to talk about the National Lawyers Guild, everybody went nuts too. You're not allowed to talk about them. <laughs> oh no. Yeah, I, I, th- there's been a lot that's been excluded that was not like, in, in, particularly with Elizabeth Sands. She's best friends with two of Judge Wu's law clerks and would send him, yeah. uh, send the guy uh, money via cash app. And there's a public record of this. And yet somehow, I mean, what lawyer would want to go into a court where the, the judge going up, you're going up against his best friends, his courses are best friends with the plaintiff. Good Lord. Hang on a second. I think I just, is one of the law clerks named Josh? Um, I think so. Oh, my God. So. Okay. So I didn't understand. Something happened in the courtroom. 
she's on that video, and she says, Josh, we might have to come to your house. And I said, yes, who's Josh? that's who and, she was And then they jumped out of yes. their chairs, and they objected, Your Honor. And the judge said, sustain. And I said, well, I must have touched, I must have hit a nerve. I didn't even know what it you was. Did. That's what it was. That, it was the law clerk. That's, yep. that's hilarious. Oh, yeah. Hey, Josh, this mob of armed roving Antifa chants might come to your house where you where you where you pay the bills with Judge Moose. <laughs> wow. I cannot believe amazing. you just made that connection. Oh my God. Yeah. And uh, there's been so much evidence. Yes. Uh I mean this this thing has just been clicking from from start to finish. Let me ask you something about Judge Moon. A lot of people have observed that his pre trial written opinions and motions uh were very much obviously putting the thumb on the scale for the plaintiffs, allowing all of this crap. However, since the trial has begun and we've heard him publicly and he's doing his reactions in real time to things going on in his courtroom, it has seemed that whether he might personally lean one way or the other, he's definitely or seemingly playing it fair. Like maybe just 30 years of being on the bench and experience is kind of kicking in for this 85-year-old tired man. Is that your impression? How do you feel about it? It, it, it definitely is, and I'm shocked, literally. Okay, like I'm I I I. I dare, I, I dare to say I'm impressed with his, uh, you know, seeming impartiality some of the time. Um, sometimes I think it's almost that I – I almost – I hesitate to even say impartiality because it almost seems like he's keeping score. Like, all right, you know, they win one coin toss, they win another is what I think a lot of these things are. Um, but, you know, the fact that he hasn't, uh, that he hasn't been heavy-handed against us, and me in particular – I think is I think is something, and uh, and it makes me question, you know, the role of his law clerks because my understanding is that the law clerks will, in a lot of cases, you know, be writing up these these opinions, right? Yes, and That's what I'm saying. I do think that he probably man. got some yeah. communists working in his office who, when when he when he has the luxury of handing the work off to them, they're making these decisions and they're and they're universally on the plaintiff's side when he's in front of. When he's in front of everybody in the courtroom and he has to make the decisions in real time, he's a lot fairer than he is in in the written. Now, I'll say this too, you know, I I don't know how fair his opinions were actually because I'm not an attorney, right? I'm making this stuff up. You know, I I I'm not surprised if I lose every legal argument because I'm not I'm not suited to the task. And these people I gather are much better paper lawyers than they are trial lawyers, is what I've figured out through through mm-hmm. dealing with them in the courtroom. They don't seem to be very good at their jobs. When, when it comes to actually like persuading people in a courtroom, their their opening statements were screechy, preachy, annoying. You know, you better agree with me or you're a Nazi too type stuff. Mm-hmm. And I can't imagine that anybody, you know, anybody who had any feedback, any interaction with the real world would have thought that that was effective. Um, you know, and to and 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 they seem to be getting caught off guard by their own evidence. So, you know, these people, you know, maybe. You know, I understand there's you know there's two types of lawyers out there. There's paper lawyers and there's trial lawyers, and I think that these people might be better paper lawyers than trial lawyers, and that that may be the cause of the disparity too. Yeah, well, I I think um, I had it on good authority that uh, this this Josh Law Clerk uh, and the other guy that he's friends with uh, are gay, and then the third one of the third law clerks was actually an Israeli citizen. Yeah, so that's right. Yeah. I mean, I can't imagine that there's going to be any bias against you guys in their, in their uh, what they write up for the judge. But let me ask you uh, something. Going forward, uh, uh, when this is all said and done, 
and hopefully everyone gets you know zero liability. Uh, when are what's what's on tap for you? When are you uh, expected to get out? Well, uh, win, lose, or draw, when this trial's over, I'm going back to federal prison. And when win, lose, or draw, I'm going to get out the exact same day. My release date is in December of 2022, which will have me in a halfway house sometime next summer. Uh, okay. So, you know, my my immediate plans are to go back to the communications management unit in Marion, Illinois, and, um, you know, hang out with Bill White and Matt Hale and watch Tucker Carlson for another <laughs> Well, there's already been some people crowdsourcing and sending you to law school. Um, so some people have mentioned that to me, and and initially I was like I was like I don't think it's possible. I'm a convicted felon, and unless my appeal goes through, that that doesn't seem like it's going to work. But it's been relayed to me that that might not be a disqualifier. And so, I don't think it is. You know, that is an interesting prospect. I'll, I'll say. You know, I'm 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 about to turn. I just turned 41, a matter of fact. And so the idea that I'm going to go to law school at 41, I'm like old dogs, new tricks. I, I don't know. You know, but. I have had a lot of fun in that courtroom, man. I got to tell you. Oh yeah. And 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 I. But at the same time, you know, I just I I don't have an answer on the question, so I'll just share with you my deliberations because I have thought about this a little bit. You know, if somebody were to offer me, let's just say that you know there was some wealthy right winger who was like, "I'll give you a free ride to law school." Well, first things first, it seems like that'd be a profoundly stupid thing for me to say no to. That's a generous gift, and you know, to, to say no to something like that, you know. Uh, I'd have to have a really good reason for doing it. I'm not sure that I do. Um, but um, I, I also realize that part of the reason that this is going so well is because I have such a good case, right? This has been a gift, right? If I, you know, my, my criminal case, for example, I mean, you know, it wasn't nearly so, it wasn't nearly so clean cut, right? There was a question of my intent, and, and there was no dispute as to whether I had actually you know, transmitted what I had been accused of transmitting. And that, that was not nearly so so humorous of an ordeal, right? And, and here course, I find myself with sentenced to 41 months. You know, now, granted, you know, I had a public defender, you know, taking care of me, and I had, I, uh, they arguably could have done a better job, part of the subject of my appeal, frankly. But, you know, I, I, I am certain that if I, if I were to venture into the, uh, to the profession of law, uh, most of the cases that I dealt with would not be nearly so clean cut, not be nearly so entertaining, and I would not, uh, I would not have nearly the prospect of success when dealing with guilty clients. And so, you know, um, that's 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 sort of my deliberations on the subject. But I do think well, you got some time. If I if 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 the opportunity presented itself, um, I think that's. I I think I could imagine myself doing it. I could imagine myself going to law school, taking a bar exam. And and becoming sort of the, uh, the what's the uh, what's the guy's name you know the right wing better call Saul or whatever yes. and uh, Saul you know, Goodman yeah, better call Cantwell. yeah here we go yeah, yeah instead of Goodman hey. can't well it's a little juxtaposition there I think and, uh, we got about a, yeah no kidding a lot l- l- less sleazy but hey we got about a minute left I'm gonna put the information in the show notes on how to send you letters donate your 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 prison fund and all that sort of thing but is there anything else you want to make sure it gets out there that I haven't asked you about. Uh, you have one minute left. No, that's the one-minute warning. You know, I'm just, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know. I, I think that I'm I'm glad to have this opportunity, truth be told. This has been a rough ride, obviously, man, and I think that uh, but what's, what's on the line here is nothing short of the narrative. The narrative is the damn prize, and I think that we're we're very close to winning it. 
And so I'm, uh, I consider myself privileged to have the opportunity. And, uh, and if we, and if we win it, the, uh, the, the prize is worth every penny. And, uh, I thank everybody for uh, giving me the opportunity to, uh, to take this journey with them. And, uh, I look forward to speaking to everybody about it once, once it's, uh, once it's over. And of course, all, all throughout. Well, um, let me relate to you, uh, hundreds and hundreds of, uh, back slaps and prayers and good wishes and well wishes that, uh, I've received on your behalf. Uh, and they're all coming to you, and you know we all got our fingers crossed. Stay strong in there, brother. Glad to speak to you, sir. Take care. Bye. Thank you for using.